0: Okay, uh, welcome to the State of Play podcast. Me and Matt are back. Uh, we haven't spoken for about six weeks on air. Matt, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Again, like like, I, like you said, you know, it's been uh, we had that gap. I think you kind of uh, carried the torch and you uh, you uh, forged ahead with the interview with uh, Jonathan, which was which, which, which was an incredible one. That was our most previous one, but it feels like ages ago. So it's good to be back yeah jonathan promised me 30 minutes
0: and i understood why he only promised me 30 minutes when we got on air because it went for about 50 minutes and he afterwards as soon as we stopped he was just like that's that's why i only gave you 30 minutes pet because uh, i knew i'd go nearly double um but it was really really fascinating for me the the stuff about psg's potential ffp problems and henry we talked about Henri and monaco cases yeah, of course, like on and Monaco, which as we know, that's kind of ended now. Um, he, he quite rightly predicted that Monaco would get out of relegation trouble, which I think they, they, they're doing at the moment and will probably go on to continue doing. But um, I don't think anyone could have predicted that short turnaround for, for Thierry Henry. As an Arsenal fan, it's kind of weird to see a guy uh, who's beloved by pretty much everyone, apart from... You know, Ireland fans uh, <laughs> get um, get sacked in like this. Sh- it was it was really weird. It was a really weird situation. Maybe something that we'll get onto at one point. Uh, but what, what have you been doing in in 2019? What's
1: uh, what's 2019 had uh, to offer for Matt so far? Yeah, so just um, a lot of writing yeah, as usual. Um, you're watching a lot of football, trying to um, you know span out. You know, obviously, you watch a little bit of Bundesliga. Watch a little bit of. um Liga, uh, of course, La Liga, and just kind of expand uh, outside of Serie A, which obviously many of you guys associate me with. But yeah, I've been—I've been really fascinated with lately—is um, uh, some of the, the the signings, the moves for players in Major League Soccer. You know, there's a lot of things going on with, uh, of course, Giovinco. Uh, he left Toronto. There was a kind of like a—they uh, left in a kind of on not so good terms. Uh, him and Toronto, of course, he helped deliver um, a treble a couple couple seasons ago uh, to Toronto, where they were the top. Team in the league, and then the year after they were one of the worst. So um, that was kind of a strange situation to see. But um, yeah, we have a lot of you know, a lot of moving moving parts, moving players around Major League Soccer at the moment. And uh, you know, we, I think we're maybe three weeks, four weeks out of the season opening weekend. So um, I'm very excited for that.
0: And we finally
1: had Miguel Almiron make his move. didn't Yes, we? yes, we did. Yeah, to Newcastle. That was something that um, shout out to uh, my good friend Roberto Rojas. Uh, he called that I think back in December. Um, you know, he's pretty much saying that you know Miguel Amorón's most likely headed to Newcastle. There's some things to iron out, but it'll definitely happen during the January transfer window. And sure enough, it happened. I think the last day or two. Um, I think for maybe record fee for Newcastle, if I'm correct, or in record fee at least for for Major League Soccer. So um, definitely exciting times if you're um, a Paraguay, uh, you know, football fan. If you're a fan of Major League Soccer, because uh, now you have obviously you know that you're keeping an eye on him in in uh, at Newcastle which um it's it's funny too because we saw all the uh the Santiago Munoz uh memes <laughs> and gifts and and co- connections and, and and all that stuff so uh, it's gonna make for a great second half of the season I'm really curious to see how he gets on there and um I think um uh, you know if we if he's able to um mirror what he was able to do in uh in Atlanta I think Newcastle are getting quite a player
0: yeah, yeah, we, we talked, talked about him a, a bit in episode six when I think he was licked to Arsenal and then since then, then he was licked to Liverpool and Spurs. But it'll be really interesting to see if he kind of... I, I, I kind of compare it to the Philippe Anderson signing uh, that West Ham made, right, from Lazio. Could he have as a profound effect there? He's obviously going to come into the team and be one of the, the best technical players. I mean, if you look through Newcastle's lineup at the moment, there isn't really too much of... Uh, Acuteness and, and technical quality. There you've got um, Iosie Perez, Matt Ritchie, and uh, John Joe Shelby. I mean, if those three are the the best technical players at your football club, you're gonna. St- Struggled to play some really nice football. So,
1: is it going to be that um, Santiago Munez effect that Almiron has? And Almiron, he knows, but, uh, and he's a guy, you know, we obviously talked about him in that previous episode that you're mentioning, but, um, you know, he brings, I think he's going to bring quite a bit of excitement and quite a bit of uh, speed, creativity, all those things that really Newcastle uh, are lacking at this point in time. So, um, you know, he's a threat on the counter and this and that, what have you. So, I think going forward, you're going to start to hopefully see, if you're a Newcastle United fan, of course, a little bit more. Energy a little bit more uh, excitement going forward and in the attacking area of the club. So uh, again, something to keep an eye on if you're a Major League Soccer fan and uh, of course for Premier League fans because I think it's always fascinating to see how uh, you know players coming from Major League Soccer are able to make that transition. And in his case, he doesn't really have the entire summer to do it like many others. So you know he's going to have to do it quickly. And I think you know um, with the fee attached to his name the pressure's going to be on but i think you know he's a guy that's up for the ta- up for the challenge and um, you know if you look at his numbers in major league soccer um, over the past couple of seasons if he's able to d- even get half of that in terms of goals and assists because i think he had 26 27 assists in, in combined between two seasons you know i think you newcastle are getting quite a- quite a bit of value there
0: i mean let's think about this right this transfer fee record for michael owen has been around for longer than 10 years which is crazy, right? I mean, in an era where uh, clubs, big or small, are breaking their transferring uh, record every other
1: window, it's crazy, right? Yeah absolutely I think you know again that's something that you're surprised that you know when you look at you're like you look at some of the fees that we look back at you know years and years ago it was it didn't feel so long that you know Ronaldo for whatever that what fee was and then Bale and then Pogba and then all of a sudden it's it feels like those those fees that were, were we once considered so high so astronomical and pretty much outlandish for a footballer one player um, you know now those are being shattered every summer by players it just goes to show you the money that's uh, involved in this sport but also you know where the direction of some of these clubs are going um as i've been mentioning on you know twitter and really on other podcasts i've appeared on since we last talked um, there's a lot more clubs again. Everything's going towards that under twenty-three model player of a guy that you know we're paying what his present and future production's going to be. Not so much you know paying him a high, a handsome wage based off what he accomplished previously. I think that's something that's not even just uh, specific for for football, but I think it's something that you're starting to see in other sports as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it it's really interesting to see, isn't it? Buying into that future star is. Uh is really interesting and i wanted to ask you matt i, I was listening to um ask a podcast that i listened to really big arsenal podcast and they were talking about uh stan croenk um obviously the arsenal owner and how his la rams they got to the uh they got to the super bowl final they lost didn't they but um why don't we talk a little bit about how different it is managing a franchise in the us in any given sport compared to a european football club like how much harder is it to flip the switch and actually make a team much better in the say the uk if you're an arsenal or a chelsea or a man city or even a milan in your case or a roma whatever than it is uh la rams for example who seemingly in the last 24 months have gone from um you know the, the the edges of things to being one of the biggest teams in the country.
1: Yeah, I think that's again, it's a, it's a model that um you know, when 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 you know, kind of comparing the two because this is always always something I talk about with you know people at work or people I encounter with and I tell them you know that I'm I'm a huge football fan and so on and so forth. Um, you know, they, they, they always say, like, you know, they always look at, you know, wow, this guy's getting bought for this much, plus they got to pay him. Like, there's, there's a lot of things kind of that people don't quite understand. And again, it's it's innocence because I think we're so used to the American model of sports franchises, sports organizations, right? But there's a lot of things. There's a lot of, like, oh, oversight um, with at the top where, you know, obviously in certain leagues there's caps. Uh, Cap, there's payrolls that you have to kind of stay within. There's, you know, there's only a certain amount of, um, you know, players or or or, uh, uh, contract sizes that you can make. We're seeing that in the NBA even, where the max contract is going up every every summer, and you know, you're seeing players that maybe aren't so valuable or that great getting top dollar, which again goes to show you the money that's involved and that's right now um, included in these sports. But I think if you're comparing, you know, how quickly or how um the differences between you know building uh, a club up from the the bottom up um in in say the uk to you know something like as you just mentioned uh, american football or even major league soccer then there's a lot of different rules you know where we we, you see the the mls game yes it's the same sport but the structuring of the league is entirely different if you think about it you know designated players you know certain um you know how many how, how many uh There's the TAM and all these different acronyms for you know uh, allocating of money. It's it's kind of a strange thing. You typically don't see, um, you know, you see a lot of trades that happen in in Major League Soccer. Which again, a trade is is, it's such a big component and vital component of American sports versus really what we see um, in you know European football. Right, we really don't see any type of like trade straight up like this player for this player. You mean it happens? But most of the time, it's again we saw obviously what happened with uh, you know Milan and Juventus with Iguain, Caldara, and Bonucci. But that's kind of a one-off thing. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of that that you can maybe apply to Major League Soccer in a sense. But it doesn't happen as much. I think Major League Soccer you can see how quickly teams could essentially win the league and then drop off the next year. That's something that I've kind of looked at and thinking like with Toronto is a perfect example. They were at the top. They they were um, everything. They were, they were winning everything there is there is to win. And then the next year with almost the same more or less team they kind of slipped off and they fell down again. You can look at the, maybe the structuring of the league, the playoff system. There's no relegation, which is another conversation for another podcast. But um, yeah, it's just something that's kind of it's kind of strange to me. I think it's again I'm being as someone who watches both, I can be able to separate the two. But I'm so used to and so in agreement with the European way of of. Of football the structuring you know the rules the regulations the oversight that it's kind of looking at major league soccer it's still kind of weird to me yeah i I, the only thing i
0: really don't like about the american model is the ability to tank on purpose i mean if you're in particularly you know the nba or in the nfl you know the most important position is the quarterback if there's a guy who's a generational player in those positions or in, you know, in, 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 the, in the NBA, if it's any position, like we've seen, you know, Zion Williamson, the, the guy in college at the moment, who's just like, he, he's an animal. There are teams that are actively doing badly to try and get this guy. And it,
1: it, it, it's so hard to explain to a European person. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's even, even a, a weirder case with, um, you know, even the, the, the recently passed NBA trade deadline. Uh, with Anthony Davis he wanted to pretty he's yeah. forcing his way out he's pretty much come out and said he's not signing an extension he's i think he's under contract for the 2019-2020 ni- the season but um you know when you have that situation now he's coming out there's a lot more power player power than i in in in, in NBA uh, and even in football because you can easily sit out um, obviously you know when if you're a team like the Pelicans right Anthony Davis is the guy that puts you know butts in the seats if he's sitting out and he wants to move or is any fan going to go to those games? And then you also take into account um, players that are trying to, you know, we saw with LeBron James a couple weeks ago, uh, in, in quotes, load management, where the guy's sitting out, and, you know, that's something where if a kid's, if a father's bringing his uh, his son to a game, and this guy, he goes, I'm here. To, I'm paying top dollar to see LeBron James, he's sitting out. Like, for me, that's something that's kind of weird, and I think I, I, I'm, NBA is trying to uh get around that and alleviate that by kind of putting in some me- uh, some measures and, and rules to uh, essentially uh, limit that. But yeah, that's, again, to your point, tanking, right? If you see, like, imagine in uh, Premier League, you saw, you know, there was a draft pick, draft, and, and F- Fulham was like, we're going to tank and we're going to get, um, you know, the first, you know, the, one of the top players, you know, in Europe, you have to draft them. It's just kind of a weird situation for me but I think it's something again being a professional like if you're a professional in this situation and you're looking around you're going to this is this is your job then you're just going to pretty much show up and tank get like it's it's kind of it's a weird thing for me. I understand it because there is a strategy behind it because obviously if you can land a top player like a Zion Williamson or you know for let's say compare for comparing comparison sake um you know a team tanks and then they're able to land like a Killian Mbappe type generation type player then I can get that but you gotta understand you have fans, you have a lot of other people involved that pay money and if you're trying to get people in the stands You're not going to do that by just tanking. So it's kind of a strange situation. That's something that I don't, again, I don't like about Major League Soccer. Um, There's a lot of things I do like. But the fact that, again, there's there's a lot more teams coming into the league, which feels like every year. But there's no punishment. There's no penalty for finishing bottom of the table. It's pretty much okay. You get the first pick now, and you know again for Major League Soccer franchise, um, we see how quickly you know uh, franchises can turn around year to year. So in that regard, it, it does benefit them. But it's still again a weird concept to uh, to get on board with. For me, the, the strangest
0: thing is that like not like one size doesn't fit all right if it works in the nfl if it works in the nba there's no reason you have to force it upon the mls which is the same sport as you know european soccer if you're trying to get to that level why not copy that model like just Do the same thing as they do and and see where it goes, because as you're seeing and we're seeing, there's a lot of South American talent that is using the MLS as kind of like a springboard. If you suddenly stop drafting and actually um, make it more of a, a. a situation where teams have to have good scouting operations in in in, um, in place. It actually benefits the whole of world football because you've got all these South American talents that then feel that they have a, a better opportunity to go to America and play really well. At the same time, if uh, colleges are have have teams that um, uh, that are basically youth academies, then you, you, again you have a situation where. It, <laughs> It could be better in general. I think there's that. Why are we doing it this way when the guys over in Europe are doing it the that way and it's really successful? But I think maybe we should leave this one here, Matt. Before we go on forever. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, and we um and you no, know, and we even <laughs> we even talked about a lot of this stuff in that uh, episode mm, with John yeah, Townsend, yeah. which was like a pretty much a U.S. soccer deep dive. Um, so that's something again our listeners can you know go back to for for more honest. yeah well, well
0: I have to tell you listeners that was not part of the plan we weren't meant to talk about those two subjects um so, <laughs> sorry if we bored you uh we're going to talk about Maurizio Sarri because uh, I've just watched his team get humiliated by Pep Guardiola's Manchester City 6-0 6-0 I mean it was I don't know if you watched it Matt but it was brutal to watch and um I guess the the question everyone's asking now. A lot of people in the UK UK are kind of going, is it if, or is it when? Not if Maurizio Sarri gets sacked from Chelsea. Like, what, what is what are people in Italy uh, kind of looking at Sarri and saying at the moment?
1: Well, I think with you know we we talked about this. I think you know, in one of our, earlier, our our earlier episodes, and really as things kind of progressed with the um the his Chelsea. Uh, side if you will Um, obviously started off tremendously well one of the better starts i think in premier league history if i'm correct Um, and then there were some kind of brief moments you know where we saw him um, and his chelsea kind of struggle you know lose a game lose a game here and there um, and then kind of maybe pick it back up again but really not click on that same level that they did uh, to begin the season but i think really if you're asking any type of uh, italian football fan or someone who um, has watched his napoli uh, for several years um, one of the more exciting Clubs in, in Europe, um, in general, despite not maybe winning anything, um, and having anything to show for such a great brand of football. Um, this is really isn't too surprising. I think again, when you factor in his late arrival to Chelsea, the fact you factor in that he really didn't get that necessary time to get his players. You know, right? We know that yes, his system is, is when operating well, it's it's well oiled, it's it's easy on the eyes, it's aesthetically pleasing, all that, this, and that, what have you, but. There was again. You ask anybody, they would tell you. But what happens when his plan A? What happens when Sarismo is not clicking? And obviously, does he have a plan B? And the question, the answer to that is, doesn't look like he does. Because obviously, what we're seeing now is, you know, that same effectiveness in his, his style that we saw earlier in the season is not happening right now and obviously this is where they really needed to start clicking that second half of the season um is when um especially when you got chelsea and i mean excuse me city liverpool manchester united playing the way they are under a new manager new manager um Chelsea can't afford to, to kind of go into another full month of just a skid and, and a free fall because they'll, we, they won't make fourth and obviously that could ultimately mean um you know not having uh you know not obviously it will not it could mean it won't mean having Champions League football for next year so um this is not too surprising for me I think again maybe I didn't expect a, a 6-0 beating from uh, from Manchester City uh, Pep Guardiola who Sari really admires and I think they have a great you know uh, understanding and, and uh, respect for one another but at the same time this this is, again, it's not something that I'm looking at and thinking, oh, I didn't see this coming. I think this was something that a lot of, you know, uh, you know, Italian football journalists, writers, and even just viewers of Calcio in general kind of uh, said, yes, he, he he can play great football. Yes, you know, uh, the, the passing, you know, the, the all that stuff, you know, the quick uh, counterattacking. It, it looks good when it, it's it's great when it works, right? Everything's fine when you're winning and you're scoring goals and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But what happens when things go south? Can you pick it back up? Do you have a plan B? Do you have a fallback option um, in order to get results? And right now, it doesn't look like he has that. So again, when you lump in the form coming into this match with a beating uh, this bad against Manchester City, this kind of showed everyone how far off they really are from competing for a a title again. And that's the crazy thing, too, is that when Conte came in, Conte Mm. won a title in his first year. But the second year, obviously he, did, he struggled. He a, and He didn't last. Uh, the an year. FA Cup, though. So he did win
0: an FA Cup in his Cup second season. Though. So I think that's that's nothing to be right.
1: But like, I'm, I'm saying he he, he no, it really wasn't no. the same effectiveness. It wasn't the same yeah,
0: season. I, I agree. I, I think the, there's a couple of things, right? I mean, you, you mentioned the respect thing. I think uh, after the game, I think Sari refused to shake Pep's hand, or at least like didn't see him, or pretended not to see him, which was quite funny. Um, but the other thing I want to say, I I said to someone this is probably the reason I think he'll probably get sacked right I said to someone earlier um, if you look at the squad he inherited he inherited the best defender in the league in Aspilaqueta, or at least like the one the best 1v1 defender like the best fullback he invest he uh, inherited the best player in in Hazard and he inherited the Best like central midfielder in Golo Kanté, a guy who was just like pivotal in France winning the the Champions uh, the the World Cup,
1: and did get did get a, a
0: yeah, spend a ton yeah, of money on him. Like he got his man. That was like his quarterback, so to speak. That it was you know if I want to do Sari Ball, give me this guy, right? Um, so it wasn't like Chelsea didn't back him. Um, he did seem to be very frustrated because. you know he he wanted another striker uh, which obviously didn't happen Morata started the season quite well and then obviously petered off he's now not there I think we're going to speak about them uh, those him and Higuain and Piontek later but I I said to you before we, we got on air right that Chelsea have got to like 16 cup finals or something like that with the past 16 managers so in Abramovich's case he'll sit down with his board and say listen guys We can sack him, and it actually works. Like, what we do here at Chelsea Football Club works. And we were discussing who comes in. Do they give it to Zola till the end of the season? I'm not sure, but, you know, if you... If Chelsea lose the cup final against um, uh, Manchester City, if they struggle in the FA Cup and in Europe, I think there's going to be a big decision to be made, and it won't surprise me if he goes. Who comes in, I'm not too sure, but... (laughs)
1: It, it, <laughs> yeah, Mourinho, Conte, <laughs> Venga, Jose Mourinho. Like, want to do that again. Yeah, Marino, <laughs> Conte, yeah I don't know Zidane maybe. I mean, I think you know, again. We talked about we talked about this. Um, I think in maybe our third episode, or our fourth episode, when Mourinho, um, when uh, Kovac, and I think um, obviously Lopetegi were kind of on a hot seat or kind of on the way out. Um, as to who's really available, right? Because it's always something to look at. You know, if you're going to sack a manager, who are you going to replace that him was with? The, the the state the state of play, kiss it. Exactly, death. exactly. And <laughs> if you look at it, I think again, you know, if you look at your, some of your options, um, uh, yes, there are a couple managers out there. You know, obviously Mourinho. There's Conte. That's obviously not happening. Those two guys, I just don't see it happening at all. But then there's a, maybe a manager like Zidane, who again, if if Allegri doesn't leave Juve. Um, which there have been kind of you know some reports that maybe this is his last year that Zidane will take over the managerial uh, manager role in the summer. That remains to be seen. But maybe, hey, Chelsea gives Zidane everything they need um you know maybe they they bring him in on an interim basis or maybe they finish up with Zola and then it's a co- competition between Chelsea and Juve for, for for Zidane but hey it could also be Zidane goes to Juve and then maybe Allegri at their third straight manager for Chelsea is is going to London so again we really don't know and I think that's one of the stranger things and more fascinating things with kind of the uh, managerial situations at big clubs is you know, you get a big, you get a manager that you, uh, you know, is is well respected. He obviously plays great football. And sorry, but who are you going to replace him with? Sometimes you know, it's it, they go with the caretaker approach. And now we we see with with Manchester United. Of course, you fire Mourinho, and everyone was throwing all these names around. But now all of a sudden, all he has, think like, what 10, 10, 10 wins and eleven matches, or 10, 11 games unbeaten. I mean, he got he's on fire, and everything's clicking for him. So. Look, if we're getting back to Sarri here, um, and it's, you, you, you raised the question, is it a matter of um, when, not if, I think it's definitely when. Um, I, maybe it's not going to happen this weekend. It wouldn't surprise me off a big defeat like this. But I will say that if you're Chelsea, and then you kind of look at where the table, table shapes up at the moment, now's got to be the time you make the move. Because you, you figure you have City, Liverpool, they're locks for top four. Now, all of a sudden, Manchester United, with the way they're playing, you can maybe count them in as maybe the fourth, uh, the, the number four team. And then maybe, you know, you have, a, really, it's going to be a battle to the very end for who finishes top four. So if, if Chelsea are going to make a switch, it's got to be now, you think. Yeah,
0: I, yeah I, I totally agree. I think that with those games that I mentioned, the fixtures, the cup final, the FA Cup fourth, uh, fifth round, the the tie in, uh, in Europe, Chelsea need to do something, whether it's changing manager, formation, uh, personnel on the pitch. Something has to happen for them to perform better. I mean... I threw out the name as you were speaking there. Frank Lampard's doing quite well at Derby. That could be the same kind of Solskjaer effect. Um, it'd be strange. What about um, Goose Hiddink for like the, the 20th time as caretaker manager? I don't know. Like, I, I think in general, though, there's, the, there's this transitional period that Chelsea are going to go through in this next 12 months, right? Eden Hazard. I don't think he's going to stay. We said it right in a few episodes ago. This is his last chance. And the way he's been talking to media people, it doesn't look like he's going to stay. You add William and Pedro, aging wingers, Luis, David Luiz is in his final year of his contract. Kovacic is on loan. <laughs> Marcus Alonso seems to have just become a really terrible fullback overnight. Uh <laughs> Callum Hudson-Odoi might not be there. Who's their brightest talent? The the guy who's supposed to be the next Eden Hazard, if the torch was to be passed. This seems to me like the most uh, volatile period of Chelsea's time under Abramovich. That's a big thing to say, but it feels like it. It's especially since they had a uh, Velasquez and that kind of period, which was really strange. This definitely seems like the weirdest one.
1: Yeah, I would definitely, definitely agree with that. I think again, um, you know, it's you look at where. City were before they got Pep. Um and even with Liverpool, right? They were kind of in those weird spots and for Pep's first season I think they finished fourth, I believe. And then and, I think and, 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 they, they and they lost four nil, four nil to then Everton then once, once I, I, remember, really really and and I think I remember, away from home. Really they, from from home. From they
0: got really badly hammered. I think it and was Lukaku that night, but just absolutely obliterated. Exactly. There are a lot
1: of like, you know, synergies here. Yeah, and then even with Liverpool, you know, in when Klopp arrived after Brendan Rodgers got sacked I think he finished maybe eighth with that team. I think maybe that was the first half season. I think he came in midway, um, but yeah, it's, it's 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 kind of strange too. And obviously, you know, there's not many teams around Europe um, and successful teams for that matter who have been able to say that they, they they've kind of have a a long serving. Uh, man, manager, someone, and again, that's a very important because we saw what happened even with Napoli when Sarri was there. When he arrived, um, it was pretty much one of those things where he arrived. The, the pressure was a little bit different because obviously you're not going to the Premier League, you're not getting this huge budget, you're not, you're not getting uh, you know the expectation that you gotta compete for a title right away. But at the same time, the, you know, De Laurentiis gave him. Um, the tools, he gave him the players that he kind of needed, or rather, Sarri kind of recognized the players he needed, and he was able to build a system of guys that he can trust, guys that he knows can carry out his, his style of play. I think that was something that, yes, you can maybe point to as maybe, okay, well, if uh, you give Sari another summer, a full summer, clean slate, kind of pick and choose which guys he wants to keep, which guys he wants to get rid of, maybe things can be differently. But as you mentioned, that's not how Abramovich works. Um, you just brought up the stats, 16 uh, cups in 16 seasons. So it's a model that maybe it seems not ideal. It's not something that you maybe bank on, But it is something that has more or less been pretty successful for them. I just think if you're Chelsea, though, if you really want to start competing for a title consistently year in and year out, also, make that next step of getting deep into a Champions League uh, uh, title uh, tro- uh, title run. You can't just go year to year at managers. It just doesn't work that way. The, the game is there, there's too many teams competing for this. There's too many teams that are big that have been there before. You got to have some sort of stability. And I think, you know, again, that's going to be uh, interesting to watch how Chelsea approaches uh, uh, their managerial situation from now really until the summer.
0: Yeah, it's really going to be really interesting just the whole thing with Hazard and uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi all those players that I mentioned that are kind of on the periphery the manager you know it's 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 weird the head of recruitment there was some weird stuff going on as well so it remains to be seen what Chelsea are going to do in the summer and how they're going to do it Uh, next thing uh, Matt we're going to talk a bit about the Champions League Uh,
1: who are your favourites for this year's competition Okay, so, I mean, coming into the season, obviously, I thought Juve were uh, one of the top two, top three favorites for me. I just think, again, when you add a champion player like Ronaldo, someone who, again, even when you're not maybe playing your best football, um, someone who can kind of dig you out of a hole and get a big goal or carry you through a a, a round of 16 tie, um, which we, again, of course, have seen him do many times, right? Even last year when he pretty much started off, like, uncharacteristically slow for Real Madrid. But of course, once the calendar year switched to 2018, he turned it on. He started scoring goals. Real Madrid started, you know, uh, looking like the Real Madrid of old, right? And of course, they won another Champions League trophy. So uh, I still think, again, despite some of their maybe recent struggles, again in the league, if you call them struggles, I think it's very, um, it's maybe being a little bit overdramatic because obviously they lost in the Copa Italia to Atalanta. Uh, I think it was two or three zero. Um, and then, of course, they were up 3-1 to Parma last weekend um, at at home, which, again, is a fortress for them. Um, and they, they Gervinho, uh, the former Arsenal great. Um, it's 2019, 2019, by the yeah, way. Guys. Yes, the scored, coming. I think, two goals in that game. And, and obviously, you know, we were able to get a big point for them. So I still think, look, I think Juve um, are, are, are still a favorite for me. I think, again, once they get everyone back healthy, once, uh, you know, is able to kind of sort out some of these uh, minor issues that he's been having recently. Um, I think, again, you got to like Juve's chances of making a really, really deep run. However, I think they have a difficult draw here um, in the round of 16 against Atletico Madrid, which, um, again, of course, you know, it's, if you're not careful, a team like Atletico Madrid, um, they, they can obviously make a deep run. They've done it many times um, recently. Obviously, Diego Simeone knows what it takes to get to a Champions League final. Um, so that's going to be one of the more interesting ties for me. But um, I, I would definitely, you can't rule out Real Madrid. They're still a favorite for me as well. Um, And, of course, Barcelona. When you got Lionel Messi, I think you got got to like your chances regardless. So um, those would probably be my top three. I think, again, it's probably a little cliche to go with Barca Real Madrid. But I think, again, it just goes to show you, I think, um, how strong those teams are. You can throw Liverpool in there. You can throw... um, uh, a city uh, PSG I'm not so sort of sold on because I think again with the first leg coming up um, they're going to be without uh, Neymar, Cavani and Mounier so that's that first leg is going to really tell us what type of uh, Champions League run PSG can expect to have from here on out but um, yeah I think again there's really no clear cut favorite for me but I think again if I had to pick my three uh, based off you know the, their pedigree in this tournament their the talent they have and the experience I think again Juve, Real Madrid and Barca
0: yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with the Juventus. I think that they're, uh, especially considering the draw, well, actually not especially considering the draw, I was going to say that about Barcelona and Madrid, but if they can get past Atletico Madrid and get a decent draw, I think with that Ronaldo effect that you mentioned, for me, they're favourites. But um, I do look at Manchester City, who are suddenly kind of coming into form at the moment, and the hunger that they're playing with, The fact that they have Schalke in the last 16, you expect them to get at least to the quarterfinal, therefore, if they get an okay draw, and by that I mean not the three guys that you mentioned, then I think that they could actually make it all the way. And again, people are forgetting about Liverpool. Um, They're doing really well this season in the league. They're arguably a better team that got to the Champions League final last season. So they're going to be looking to improve on that. The only thing I will say is that there might be that thing in their back of their minds that it, for for Liverpool Football Club, winning a Premier League this season is more important than the Champions League, right? So I think, are they going to approach those ties with the same intensity? And I think they're probably favourites against Bayern Munich because Bayern haven't been amazing. Defensively, they've been really poor. They've conceded something like seven goals on a counter-attack in the Bundesliga. I mean, <laughs> you put Salah, Firmino and Mane on the counter-attack... <laughs> against those guys against an aging Berteng and Hummels against a Joshua Kimmich who's not the best defensively against Alaba who's not been at his best it's going to be a problem so I think for me there's like an outright favourite in Juventus and then you've got Barca, Madrid Manchester City and Liverpool who are like my next four I'm kinda of being a cop out here, right? I'm being a bit of a cop out because I'm choosing like one and the four. But for me, the favorites are Juventus and then those, next, those four. next
1: four. Yeah, I I would agree with you there. Um the one of the questions I wanted to ask you though, is kinda of, you'll know, throw it back on you, is do you see any of the remaining clubs that maybe you haven't mentioned or I haven't mentioned, um, maybe being like a surprised surprise team I've mean, we've seen in previous years you know the Monaco's the Borussia Dortmund's even Roma last year do you see anything like that a team that if you had to pick one out of let's say you know Roma or um you know I think Lyon I think if they're still I'm correct if I'm correct they're still in it as well um any any one of these teams making a run to like a, like a dream run maybe not go to a final obviously but maybe playing spoiler and maybe knocking off one of the big dogs
0: I think it's got to be Manchester United right I think if you look at the tie that you just mentioned no Neymar no Cavani you suddenly go from being underdogs especially under Mourinho where everything was kind of under a dark grey cloud to being favourites where you have the best player on the pitch or the best players on the pitch nearly I mean Mbappe is probably the best player on the pitch over the two legs but (laughs) you've got Pogba you've got Martial you've got Rashford you've got overall if you had to create like a -a five-a-side team you'd predominantly be picking manchester united players you'd be picking david de Gea, Pogba, Martial, Rashford and probably Kylian Mbappe without without Neymar without Cavani it's a big ask the other team i'd probably mention is and you just mentioned them Roma they've got um they've got an okay tie in Porto i know Porto are doing quite well they did quite well in the UCL but there's just something about Roma in the champions league recently where they just seem to be they just seem to do quite well. I mean, especially if you look at... Uh, they've kind of gone on a bit of better run of form apart from that awful loss that they uh, suffered. I think it was 7-1 to someone. Um, apart from that run, apart from that result, sorry, they've been on a decent run. They won 3-zip 3, three zip the other night. Um, I think that they could make a very sneaky run. But for me, the, the main underdogs are probably Manchester
1: United. Yeah, I, I was just about to say that too. I think, again, this the way this... Uh, round of 16 is shaping up for Manchester United. I I think it really wouldn't surprise anybody to see Manchester United move on. Again, based off the fact, again, their form right now under the manager, it's a completely different team that we've seen um, throughout the group stages with Jose Mourinho. But then you also want to throw in the fact that, again, PSG have injuries. And of course, if if you're Manchester United and you can get off to a pretty good start in that first leg, get a good result... The second leg, like, you got to like your chances to to get past PSG. So I think again, we, we with some of the matchups in the round of sixteen, um, I, I think what we there is a great opportunity for an upset for one of the big teams. And I'm not saying anything about you know Manchester United and PSG because I think you know they're both very big clubs. Uh, obviously, Manchester United, despite the struggles uh, recently. Um, they're still a big club obviously they're really not you can't really consider them underdogs I guess if you're looking at like the odds makers and all that stuff yes maybe they're underdogs because they're, you know uh, of their, their managerial situation and how strong of a side PSG is but I think if you looked at the odds changes um, from week to week yeah. with this tie I think you'll start to see it level out and if anything based off form um, swing in favor of Manchester United so this one really bodes well for them I think you man, if you're a Manchester United fan, um, you got, really gotta like your chances getting out of this one, uh, out, for sure. Definitely, I think uh,
0: when the bookies came out, when the draw came out, sorry, <laughs> and you had this, as I mentioned, dark cloud looming over Manchester with the uh, Jose Mourinho, you wouldn't have liked your odds. Then Neymar get injured, and you are like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe. Yeah, Mourinho gets sacked. I even
1: checked. I even checked. Um, in, in in the states here with DraftKings, you know in New Jersey it's legal. Uh, betting is legal so um, we looked at some of the like me and my, my friends were looking at some of the um, Champions League matches and, and I think you know Manchester United even before Neymar was like ruled out, I think he got injured. we were still waiting to see what was going on with his status for these uh, these these legs. Um, Manchester United were plus odds and I was looking at it and thinking, okay, Manchester United's playing pretty well right now. If Neymar's out, I probably would throw a little bit of money on Manchester United. But then you throw in the fact that they're still riding this wave under Ole, and you have PSG without two key players. I mean, you got to like your chances if you're Manchester United. And if you're a betting man, betting woman, uh, maybe this is something you take. <laughs> maybe so as you said
0: they've gotta like their chances but uh matt we'll move on because we had a you, you got a few questions not we uh first one from Stephen k moore uh who, who likes a lot of our stuff and retweets us quite a lot thank you very much man um he says either van piontek and zapata who have been the top three surprising stars this season in Syria
1: Ooh, that's a good question um I, I think I could go a couple different ways um You can probably point to uh, Bakayoko, I think, again, you know, maybe calling him a star is a little bit, you know, kind of over the top, just considering, again, um, you know, he's not a a world-class name. That everyone knows, but I think if you're looking at his performances really since he became a starter, once Leo went down and all these injuries kind of you know, took their toll on Milan's uh roster, he's been sensational. I think, again, um, there's many guys I can point to. It's, of course, you're taking out Piontek and Zapata, who have been top three surprising players this season. Um, you know, there are quite a few players. You can look at Quagliarella. Um, I don't think, you know, maybe not a sur- maybe not a surprise player because I think he was very good last year and people know that he has been aging like fine one. But I don't think anyone anticipated him going on the run he just did, scoring Definitely. in 11 straight games, almost making it 12, which would have been a, a record set, that bro- broken the record set by uh, Batistuta, 25 years ago, um, but yeah, I think you could also point to Milik, Milik was a guy, you know, with injuries kind of plaguing him the past couple of seasons, finally healthy, and, you know, really, you know, getting into not just double digits, but a guy that you know, could possibly get 20 goals this year, which again, um, for the longest time, when they spent 35 million on uh, 35 million euro on him a couple seasons ago to replace Higuain, a tall, uh, tall task, um, and, you know, there were some concerns if he was able to be able to do that. But now we're starting to see at 24 years old, 23, 24 years old, that he is a real good striker and someone who is capable of, um, of leading a front line. So if I had to say again, Milik, um, I would probably go with um, even Alduro, uh, I think against, you know, going on loan winning. Uh, the starting job at Samp and now becoming one of the you know the, the better young keepers in in Europe at the moment um, those are just a couple of the guys I can go with you can even go to Mancini from Atalanta, young central defender who's kind of broken out, obviously Zaniolo has become a star um, with that big move that uh, Roma and Inter pulled off between uh, Zaniolo, Davide Santon and uh, Raja Nangolan, so um, again I could go all on and on and on but those are just a couple of the names
0: yeah, I think Zaniola was going to be one of my one. You know, I I rate him uh, massively. Uh, I think he's going to be some player. But um, I think <laughs> Javino, we've got to mention him. Like, who on earth would have thought that he would have would have done quite well? And uh, what, uh, probably a word to say about Mario Mandzukic as well. Considering all the firepower Juventus have, um, eight goals and four assists is is not a bad return. Considering he hasn't been scoring that often previously, like. He's scoring a goal every 186 minutes, which I'm looking at now is better than Insigne. It's it's only one minute shy of Icardi. It's better than Caputo, who's above him in the the standings. And you know, it, it's not bad at all from him. Uh, but yeah, Jovino uh, probably in Manzukic for me. But Zaniolo has been ridiculously good. But again, Jovino just just freaks me out because of how terrible he was at Arsenal for so long. Um, I know he he'd had a a season where he put up decent numbers but overall like it was a shocking signing uh, but steven had another question for you uh, currently who are your favorite three players at milan and who are the best three in your opinion so favorite and, and best slightly different matt but why don't you take this one away as a milan fan
1: okay so um obviously my favorite currently my favorite i think it goes without saying is uh just off piontech <laughs> uh Polish, it goes without saying, obviously, I I love the guy so much. Uh, I think, again, his his rise has been so quick and so sudden. But I think, you know, there was a great interview that I actually shared on my Twitter account. Um, Pretty much of his, you know, he was pretty much saying seven months ago, I was playing in front of 2000 people. Um, in Poland, and then I go seven months later, I'm um, playing in, in a packed San Siro for Milan, a team that he grew up loving. So I think, again, obviously, you know, naturally, I gotta love Piontek, right? I think, you know, you know Milan's uh, new striker, replacing Iguain. I think he's off to a great start, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got, uh, got coming up his sleeve as well, but... um uh, the other two would probably be Donnarumma. I thank you. Again, he's been uh, probably the best keeper in Italy, in my opinion, this season. His recent form has been stellar. He's saved Milan plenty of times lately. Um, and I think, again, it really just goes to show you that he's, I mean, He's a superstar goalkeeper, and he's growing with his distribution which and footwork, which was a, an area he really needed to improve upon this year, um, and he's done a really good job of doing so. But again, he's still 19, which is cr- just crazy to me because I feel like he's a guy that, he you know, he's been in the league for almost four years, but he's still so young, he's still a teenager. Um, and then the other guy I would probably have to go with um, is Romagnoli, the captain, uh, a guy that I think, obviously, there's several clubs around Europe that really do want him. Um uh, you know, years ago, AC Milan uh, Twitter account actually tweeted out that they rejected a big bid from Chelsea, wow. um, and oh, yeah, of, course, of course, you know, oh, yeah, of course. yeah, I think it was like forty million or something like that. This is when maybe the, after his first year at the club. Um, and again, when you're a captain, when you're that young and you're wearing a, a heavy armband and heavy shirt like the one you do at Milan, um, obviously you, t- you, have to, you have to you have to take a lot of pride in what you do and you have to be a really good player. Um, and that's exactly what Robignoli is. So those would probably be my three. Again, of course, I can go with other guys. Bakayoko is someone I definitely do like. I think, you know, you see his Instagram activity, <laughs> you see his social media activity. He genuinely loves Milan. He really wants to stay with this club. So um, those would probably be my three. And then my wild card would be Bakayoko.
0: Yeah, I think... Uh... Uh, for me, I, I love watching uh, Suso as well. Uh, I know a- there's a guy that you highly rate, but a, a guy that could...
1: Bonaventura too. And, uh, unfortunately, he's he's out for the rest of the season. But uh, Jack, he sh- me and him share the same birthday. That's just a fun fact. So uh, he's been a player I've loved really since he arrived from Milan. Um, even Conti too guys who really uh, you know uh, really want to play and really want to succeed at Milan you know when he was making his move over from Atalanta a couple summers ago he was pretty much in tears once he actually got the opportunity to sign for Milan so I think those are the things you kind of look for as a fan first and foremost aside from me being like a writer journalist um, and content guy um, that you look for with your club is guys who really want to play for your team and who take pride in 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 putting on that jersey yeah
0: I just want to say something quickly Uh, (laughs) today I was going through my timeline and um that passion is kind of uh, exuded from a, a couple of arsenal players that have come through the academy uh, alex wobi and ainsley maitland niles ainsley maitland niles is a guy who's playing at the moment right back for arsenal who's naturally a central midfielder and he's doing quite well on the weekend where arsenal won 2-1 against huddersfield he, he had the most interceptions the most touches the most tackles uh, he was one of our better players in a, in a not very good performance, but a lot of people were slagging him off on Instagram, and he decided to go out and reply to so many of the comments people were saying like come on man you're better than that blah 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 and he was responding with like okay yeah sorry about that like i'll try and do better and it was heartbreaking to see man you, you're talking about a guy who's come through the academy since nine years old who who's exuding some of the similar emotions you've talked about there with andrea conti just to get absolutely slagged off after a win might I add after a win in the premier league so i just want to quickly say a word out about that it's crazy how fans in football have stopped appreciating the guys that come through the academy and that, uh, that have got, you know, Arsenal in their blood, Milan in their blood, Chelsea in their blood, like Callum Hudson-Odoi or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, it, it just, seems insane, it just, just seems insane to me at the moment.
1: Even And you could even make the same thing too. Again, I know, um, you know, on a different topic, different club, but even with Juventus, I think, you know, the way that Claudio Marquisio was kind of, kind of, uh, cast it aside at the club He obviously wanted to stay Yes, maybe he's been injured lately The past couple of seasons But, you know, the way he was left Pretty much The way he left the club The way he was kind of ushered out um, You know, every fan Every Juventus fan Was kind of upset And, and really disappointed With the way they, they treated A guy who, again Grew up with this team You know, he won trophies With this team He was here through thick and thin I think, again that's something that maybe we kind of uh, take for granted, or at least I mean, for me, I don't. I think there's a lot of people who will, you know, badmouth a player on a regular basis, but. You know, maybe that's a one or two game thing. But if you look at the actual player himself and, you know, the words he, he's speaking, like even what perfect example was with Bakayoko in the beginning of the season. You know, obviously not you know, a born and bred Milan player. Um, but when he made this move uh, to Milan, you know, he kind of addressed the whistles that he was receiving. He was, you know, they're justified. Um, my, my goal is to um, turn those whistles into cheers. I'm going to hope, I hope to prove uh, that to the fans that I am worthy of being a, a Milan player. And, you know, he's done everything, he's, he's carried himself in the, the proper way he's done everything possible to win over the fans and every fan now wants him to be um here long term and have his option picked up so i think again we sometimes take for granted the players that put all the effort and they put the heart and soul in what they do versus the guys who um you know maybe they come here they they, they say this to the media they say that you know they, they react the, in a certain they way, the badge and it's just a job <laughs> for them i think there's a lot of people that take pride and there's nothing wrong with that there's a lot of play, uh, footballers who just it's a job they make money they're good at it and that's fun and then they retire but then there's a lot of other players again who take pride in what they do they take pride in in their craft and i think that's something that we you know sometimes tend to overlook
0: yeah i i certainly agree um it's it's been weird for me to see that kind of stuff on instagram uh Ainsley maitland he should just ignore that stuff. And, um, you know, he's been at the club since he was like 9, 10. No one can tell him that he's not doing his best or whatever. It's it's the club that he was he was raised by. Uh, you, you had another question, Matt. Uh, Gio Cozzolino. Uh, do you think Piontek is a long-term solution for Milan? I think I know the answer to that one from you. Uh, also, what do you make of Napoli's recent away form?
1: Um, let's start with Piontek. Um, I think the first three questions I actually... All, all three questions have actually been Piontek themed or I've mentioned Piontek in some way shape or form um, sure. no but you know I think yes I do think Piontek is a long term solution I mean there's some people that kind of the jury's still out on him um, as to whether or not he is the long term solution obviously doing it for six months at a team like Genoa um, it's it's much different and much more difficult to do that at a club like Milan who have had so much, so much difficulty in really kind of finding a long term solution um, for at the striker at the, at the striker position excuse me but um, but i think again the way you again uh, you know check out my my my, t- my twitter account i shared a video an interview piontek is saying all the right things i think he understands and he recognizes that he through hard work through dedication through self belief he's gotten to this point and he's succeeding and everyone who has been talking about piontek um Bonniak, uh, even um, you know uh, other players they uh, they 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 believe that he's he's a great player he's a quality player and he's the real deal um, sometimes that happens. You know, sometimes it's a quick a quick rise and all of a sudden the guy becomes a star overnight and then some others have to work a little harder before they can get a big move and, and you know, uh, start to get the, the mainstream exposure that they deserve. But um, I guess, and, and to, to, to wrap up that one, yes, Piontek I do think is, is a long-term solution for Milan. Um, and what do I make of Napoli's recent away form? Um, it's it's interesting too, because I think at certain points the season, Napoli have looked very strong, um, both on at home and on the road. But I think again, what you see with some of the performances, uh, spe- uh, specifically the one last night um, uh, against Fiorentina um, at the Frankie, where they've had several chances to, uh, at the very least, get one goal. I think again, there's there's cases where you know you're not going to bury every chance. Maybe there's a couple of you know a uh, bounce, unlucky bounce here and there. But more or less, I think Napoli were the better side, and they should have probably got the victory there. And if you're a club like Napoli, you gotta be able to win those games, especially on the road, um, and especially after last weekend where they did gain two points on Juve, they made it to single point a single point deficit in the table. You have to put you have to take care of those games and keep putting that pressure on Juve, especially when you're playing before them on the weekend. So I think for me, again, look, I, I do think the league is wrapped up. I think it's Juve's to lose. If they do, then that's shame on them because I think uh, they're clear cut the best team in Italy. But I think Napoli really do have to sort out their away form recently, uh, uh, coming up, um, if they really want to even keep it close and, and even have some sort of a, a shot at you know threatening Juve uh, for the rest of the season and even next year.
0: Yeah, I think um, it, as you mentioned, it's it's their league to lose. Napoli have have been very shrewd in their investments, and and some of those investments won't pay dividends straight away, right? And you also look at having a new manager, all these things. I don't think Ancelotti inherited this team and was said, you know, you've got to win the title or you've got to even compete. I think the top
1: 4 was probably the aim for them. Um but uh, I think that's all we've top 4 top 4 and a and a deeper yeah. Champions League yeah. run. I think that was something that I think again they they really if you, you know, if you look at it the way they performed in the group stage, a very difficult group at PSG and Liverpool um you know and even Belgrade gave them gave them quite a quite a few fits but um, and really everyone in that group but I think again that was the most disappointing thing for me again uh, is someone watching Napoli I think again they can't enter the season as the underdog to win the league everyone looked at Juve as the title favorite especially when they add Ronaldo but I think what Napoli fans wanted to see was a deeper run in Europe um let's see if they can do the Europa League maybe the Europa League is something that they take pride in they go a little bit more full fledged after um and I think if you're Ancelotti a guy who has that again that that Pedigree in the Champions League and winning in Europe, um, I think he will. That de- they will definitely go hard and heavy um, to win some sort of uh, trophy this year. And then, you know, again as a, as an Italian football fan, first and foremost, I hope that Napoli can um, represent Italy quite well in the champion. And excuse me, the Europa League. And um, when make a deep run, if they obviously can't win the trophy, which I hope they do. Yeah,
0: I think uh, they will go quite hard, especially as you mentioned that the league might be out of reach at some point during the season. But Matt, that's all time we—that's all we've got time for uh, to chat about. But you had a really interesting interview. Why don't you uh, introduce that one?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I had a great interview on Friday. I was sitting at home; I was pretty much doing nothing. <laughs> um, and uh, I know I, I linked up with Stephen Ganavas, the head, uh, the the head of Skyter Football, the brains behind the entire operation. Uh, a great project I am very passionate about. Um, focused on all under twenty three players, in not just Europe, but town, around the around the world. Um, so I think again, let's uh, let's get right into that. And here's the interview I had with Stephen on Friday. All right, so we have a very special guest here for episode 13 of the State of Play podcast. Joining me now is Stephen Ganavas, the brains behind the operations of scouted football. Stephen, how are you doing?
2: Good, thanks. How are you?
1: Pretty good, pretty good. Like I can't complain, obviously, football's in in full effect. Uh, You know, the transfer window's closed, so now it's going to be interesting to see how the – rest of the season shapes up but getting back to you know what we're here for and that's obviously to interview you as our guest and um obviously you know I'm, for those who are not familiar with what we try to do with this podcast we're trying to bring some diverse people in uh, obviously bring different opinions we cover the top five leagues of europe as well as mls but we're doing some we're bringing Steven in here to. Uh, kind of pretty much cover all bases here across you know world football and you know um and that is of course what what we're here to do is is highlight his project his his baby if you will you know scouted football now this has been a project he's been working on really since 2014 um and he's focusing focusing specifically on under 23 talents now um steven before you know i i do all the uh we, we dive deep into some of the players you have kept a close eye on and, and some of the players you anticipate having breakout years and who we and, and the listeners uh, should keep a close eye on. Um, tell us a little bit about Sky to Football as a project. What inspired it and why Strictly just under 23 Talents?
2: Uh, so what inspired Billy? Really, uh, my friend Tom kind of started the whole thing. I got on board really early and uh, kind of. Kept pushing forward with it. Um, the whole other 23 thing was really just—I think everyone that's involved with it just is really passionate about uh, identifying young players and and them and keep keeping track of them and and, and who's going to be the next next big thing. So uh, yeah, it's kind of all evolved evolved from there with a, a fairly diverse group of people involved, especially from the from the account covering you know different different sectors uh i'm obviously from australia so i kind of have a little bit more to keep a little bit more track of the a-league and and some other things Mm -hmm. uh and then there's other guys from the us and so forth that keep track of south america and and mls uh so yeah we try to cover all bases as much as we can as much as time allows um seeing as we all all do it in our in our spare time um but yeah it's kind of just taken off from there and uh, and just keep pushing forward with it
1: oh yeah absolutely again this is a project um you know for those who follow me on twitter uh i've, I've been a huge admirer of this project for quite some time really since it started um me and Stephen go way back to uh i believe in our italian football daily days you know we were both kind of uh you know, base level writers just contributing about mostly Syria and Italian football in general. Obviously, I knew on the back burner and on our side, he had, you know, to football kind of growing its following and popularity. Um, and obviously, this has been his this his full focus really since then. So um, but get, you know, getting back to the, the book itself, because it's something I'm very fascinated about and something I really always take a great interest in um, it, it being the under 23 talent, because obviously, with the game the way the game is transitioning, it's transitioning in more to those clubs spending that, that top dollar, that big money on the younger talents than really paying for present and future production. Not so much what they did uh, accomplish previously. So as someone who's featured in pr- the previous two handbooks, uh, I've learned that there are no repeat players. Uh, why is that? Why don't you like to include, um, you know, let's say for example, Killian Mbappe, who obviously um, global superstar at this point, but he was in the, the couple of ep- uh, uh Editions earlier, and obviously he's not going to be in, in the in the future. And this is something that people tend to ask me about: you know, why haven't I seen uh cutrone or Donnarumma as a Milan fan? So why is you why, why do you limit repeat players from from featuring in in uh, future editions? I think
2: mainly for the as far as the book is concerned, it's to actually just uh otherwise you could keep doing Mbappe every single time, and you're not going to you're not going to keep track of of someone new that's up and coming. I think. Uh, especially someone like Mbappe, you know, what more can we we really add to to the story that he's pretty much accomplished as much as people, as more than a lot of players will ever accomplish in their entire careers in turn 20. So we um, will be looking into maybe doing some recaps of earlier profiles on the website, but as far as the book's concerned, we're probably going to stick to the one and done rule that as soon as, as, soon as someone's in, then, then that's it.
1: Absolutely. Makes, makes a ton of sense. Again, I know there's a lot of times there's you can find profiles or you know, videos on YouTube of certain players and they really update season to season. So I think for you guys, you guys, um, you guys have that right. You guys you guys hit it right in the sense that, you know, you do your due diligence, you do your research up front um, before they actually become, again, mainstream uh, superstars and, and uh, names that everyone knows. Obviously, covering all your bases, you you do the, the groundwork, and that I think that's what makes the project so special. Is you guys are, in my opinion, the first to uh, bring those those future superstars to light and really educate you know your following, your fan base, excuse me, which is very diverse and very big on Twitter, something around forty five to fifty thousand followers, um, of who these players are going to be now or who they are now and what they can project to be moving forward throughout the rest of their career. So that's something, again, um, you guys should definitely be interested in and definitely take appreciation for. So I say this in a joking way, you know, when you profile, you know, or slash discover a player and that said player breaks out in a big way, you know, when you see it from behind the scenes or like, you know, you're kind of viewing it, do you feel a sense of accomplishment, you, the staff, you know, all the writers that are involved in the handbook and the development of the handbook, do you feel like, Oh, I, I was on that guy first. Do you, do you, do you feel any of that? Or is it just something where like, you kind of, you know, uh, just kind of appreciate it just like anyone else would appreciate, you know, good football.
2: Um, I'm not so sure that you really think, Oh yeah, I saw him first. I think, I think when people tend to do that, it's a, uh, Kind of a form of you know one-upmanship when it's not really much of an achievement. We just you know something a lot of people don't have the time or don't have the interest in going and watching the under-17 World Cup or the under-19 Euros or or the under-20 World Cup or UEFA Youth League games. People don't have the time. People don't have the the want. So the fact that we maybe see someone first in in one of those competitions, I don't see it as an achievement. It's just nice, I think, to follow those players and and see how they develop from from that stage of their career into, into full-time pros.
1: And again, it makes, it makes sense. You know, I think, again, there's a lot of times people, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people on, on uh, you know Twitter and social media in general, they try to be the first one to a player. And I don't think, again, unless you're, you're on the ground, on the have boots, on the ground in that specific area, specific region of the world, you know, let's say for example, you were the first one to, you know, discover Christoph Biontek, right? As a young kid, or I, I was watching this kid. You know, you really can't be claimed to have the, you know, the first rights or discovery rights, if you will, of a player. But I think, again, what you guys can at least uh, hope to do and attempt to do, and I think you guys do an exceptional job of doing that, is, again, bringing that player to the forefront. You know, there's a lot of times it's... I find myself scrolling through Twitter. I find myself scrolling through um, your various social media platforms for, you know, who's this player about, right? Typically, the way it works is that people will see player X linked to a big club the first natural reaction is to maybe keyword search you know, Twitter, see what's going on with them there. Maybe if there's any videos, then go to YouTube and then you kind of watch an eight, nine minute highlight reel uh, with some trap music in the back to kind of get an idea of who that player is. Um, And I think for you guys, again, you're being so diverse in who, what players you cover again, you really don't limit it to just Europe or to just South America or, you know, Africa, you guys are covering everything. And I think that again, it's a testament to not only their wide base of, of, of uh, you know, contributors to Scattered football on the written side and on the social media side but the fact that you guys are really diving deep you guys are mining for those next upcoming players because not only do you want to educate the followers but you also want to be able to bring new uh content to each Scattered football handbook and make it unique and different from the other ones so um that's, again, that's something that I, I find very fascinating and I, I know that dedication to your craft is uh very admirable uh, moving down the line, uh, you, know, you know, we we talked about what the project has been able to accomplish and how it's been able to grow so much over the past four or five years. But on a personal level, you know, I, I, I recognize that you have featured multiple times on The Guardian. You also partnered um, in this past summer with Football Manager. Obviously, everyone who knows what Football Manager is. Just take us briefly through some of those experiences and, and how it has advanced your career on a personal level.
2: Yeah, so Scouted has definitely opened up like quite a lot of doors for me, uh, getting in contact, uh, doing some videos with Football Manager while I was in okay UK last year. Uh, I was good fun. just before the World Cup. Um, just meeting new people. Uh, I went on the Football Weekly in the UK and then that kind of opened up some doors with the Guardian in Australia. And so... Uh, this past month, I went to the UAE and was doing uh, some match reports on the ground for the Australia games at the Asian Cup. Um, so yeah, it's been it's it's been good that you know some, a project that I feel really passionate about has then opened up other doors to to other aspects of 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 writing and journalism
1: absolutely absolutely again you know i mean i'm not not trying to toot my own either own own horn either but uh as someone who's featured in the guardian obviously you knows it's, it's very rewarding it's it's very satisfying to kind of see your name um you know with with a, such a big and, and revered and and uh popular publication as the guardian so that's definitely interesting but having that football manager background just goes to show you again how much detail and how much attention is being put onto uh those younger players that you guys focus so much on so all uh, right let's get let's dive into what the with the 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 meat potatoes of this interview and and really why we kind of brought you in um is to focus on those under 23 talents that you know everyone wants to know about they want to kind of get the inside scoop on and really kind of understand what those players are and really um you know what those players can project to be moving down the line now for for those who are listening um in episode 11 of our podcast we we covered 10 under 23 players to watch out for in 2019. Of course, we are here in 2019. And just some of the names that we raveled off, are, are, you know, kind of listed in that in that episode were um, Emil Alduro from Sampdoria, Anlon from Juve, Stefano Sensi, Nicolo Zaniolo, uh, Alfonso Davies, Ronnie Lopez, um, David Brooks, Reese Nelson, just to name a few. But out of the ones that, you know, excluding the ones that I just listed here, and, you know, kind of keeping in mind and, and taking into account the names and the, the, the list of players you're compiling for these um, these upcoming issues of the Sky to Football Handbook 4, can you give the listener you know, what type of – how many players or what sort of players have you been keeping a close eye on and you expect to explode based off who's featured in your upcoming issues?
2: It's based off who's featuring upcoming? Uh, that's a great question. It's sometimes uh, – the uh the volume it kind of then when you have to think about specifics for a question like this it gets difficult but um
1: i think for i mean it could be it could be again and there's there's uh, you know, just to just to kind of get, you know bring you know maybe the, the listeners up to speed here. The issue one, um, is going to be dropping this month. It's going to be shipping, um, for those who p- purchased it either digitally or in physical copy in February. And obviously, it the four issues are separated now. There's a group of uh, players that are going to be featured in issue one. You know, maybe take us through one or two of those. You know, a couple of players you have, uh, you know, focusing or your your staff is focusing on for the future editions, and kind of give the the listener what type of player that is. You know, what th- a, a brief. If, you know, I'm not giving you too much obviously. Um, what type of players they are,
2: okay? So, I'll take you through maybe some of the more niche ones in the first book that I find really interesting. Um, first one is uh, the Venezuelan midfielder or winger, uh, Jefferson Soteldo. he's really short, I think he's about five foot four or five foot five. Um, just moved to to Santos, where uh, is just uh, taken up the uh, the post as manager. Um, so he's going to be a really interested one, uh, interesting one. Sorry, uh, great dribbler. Kind of plays almost as like a hold up player sometimes uh, when he was playing in Chile, uh, despite being yeah five foot nothing. Um, and then outside of that, uh, Diego Lainez, who just transferred to uh, Betis from Club uh, Club America, uh, another short, exciting winger who's. Uh, when I've watched him at the uh, under seventeen World Cup, yes, uh, he's been really, really, really exciting. Terrorizes fullbacks, quick. Um, and outside of that, probably more a uh, well, more well known one would be Luka Jovic at uh, at Eintracht Frankfurt, who's just scoring goals for fun this season and and still only twenty years old.
1: Interesting, interesting. Okay, yeah, obviously there, there's a lot of those. A lot of people listening, you know who are or familiar with some of those names, obviously Lanez is one that I know for our, our American audience, you know, he was, he kind of had that little encounter that, that famous gift mm-hmm. moment with the Matt yeah. America, uh, for the UN's men's national team. Um, obviously, you know, those two players kind of look like they're on uh differing uh, uh, career paths. You know, Lanez is obviously, you know, making that move to Betis as Steven just mentioned. Um, and, and who knows how he's going to get on there, but you know, with all things considered and really what we know about him, he's got a very, very bright future and he's going to be one of Mex- the Mexican national team's uh, brightest stars moving forward. So is there, is there anyone, is there any other players again um, you, maybe you could, you want to hint at with this, uh, this upcoming issue or a, a further issue that, you know, maybe you're saying, Hey, you, you may not know about him much about him now. Maybe he's not, um, you know, getting the notoriety or being mentioned with transfer rumors, things like that, but you know, keep a close eye out on him. Maybe in the summer of making a move.
2: Yeah. Yes, uh, Chelsea's Rhys James, who's on loan uh, at Wigan Athletic at the moment, uh, he's an absolute star, and he'll be definitely featuring uh, in probably the next edition, if not the one after, and he, he pretty much wins, uh, wins Player of the Month and, and uh, Man of the Match just about every week uh, for them. Uh, there's a couple of other ones. Uh, Awa Mbibill, Australian winger, playing uh, in Midtjylland in Denmark, also, one to look out for in the next editions uh, could go on. Tim Way will feature at some point. Surprising that we haven't haven't done him yet, but uh, he'll be in there. And we've got a couple of Ameri- other Americans in this uh, this upcoming edition in, in Andrew Carlton and Chris Durkin.
1: Okay, so yeah, again, our, our again, of course, you know, our American audience will definitely uh, enjoy that. I know I know plenty of people in Atlanta in that area who definitely want to know more about really one of the more popular and if not the, the most popular. MLS franchise at the moment Atlanta United. So, um, Andrew Carlton's definitely going to be one you want to keep an eye on. Of course, Timothy way on loan at Celtic from PSG. I think he's has maybe three, four goals already at the time of, of this episode, um, for Celtic. And he's really showing, uh, you know, uh, why he's such a revered and, and well-respected and highly touted, um, talented player, uh, not only for PSG, you know, moving forward, but for the men's national team and really that core group of youngsters that they have. Um, so Steven, again, before we go, before we let you go, I really don't want to thank you for, for joining us, but, um, you know, this is your opportunity to plug the book, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you know, give a special shout out to anybody who helped bring this project to light and, um, you know, ultimately you know, tell us where, where we can get more of your work and where we can purchase the magazine.
2: Yep. So Firstly, the scout football twitter at scouted ftbl uh, you can buy the book at sfhandbook.com uh, my personal twitter is at steven scouted and the one shout out i want to do is to you Matt, for being the one that that pushed me to to decide to to take it to print this time so thank you very much as well
1: Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I you know this was, again, you know, just, uh, you know, me and Stephen. a lot of things go down in the DMs, um, you know, so, you know, obviously there's a lot of things we don't talk about uh, on, on a timeline, but we had this conversation quite a bit, um, you know, really since, you know, Skyded Football 3 dropped you know, about the idea of bringing, you know, the magazine to a physical, uh, you know, a print version. And obviously, you know, this is something that I, again, as someone who's really just a fan first and foremost, let alone having the privilege and honor to feature in multiple editions and obviously have an inclusion in this upcoming one, uh, you know, this was something I was hoping to see. And I'm glad that, you know, we had the conversation. We, 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 we ex- You're exploring this and this is something that, um, you know, the uh, your audience and your, your following are really uh, taking a liking to. And really, um, I'm, I'm hoping that everyone who's listening here and really everyone who follows you and follows me gives this magazine a shot you know purchase it support the journalism this this the staff does a tremendous job um i know you know firsthand and really you know through the conversations I've had with Steven and some of the others that are involved with the project, you know, the hard work they put in and hours upon hours of, of uh, dedication to not only just the, the, the written work, but the design of the magazine, which again, of course, you know, brings those profiles uh, out more. It kind of gives, you know, a little bit more detailed, a little bit more uh, insight on what those players are, what type of uh, qualities they have and really, you know, some of the more statistical sides of the game and of the players. So um, yeah, I'm very excited to see this magazine. I'm really excited to actually, receive it um and i look forward to uh seeing what skydive football has in stores so Stephen, once again thank you for free, uh, for joining us i really do appreciate it and i wish you the best of luck with uh, the first issue and and everything else moving forward
2: thank you very much
0: it's been a pleasure Thanks very much to uh, Matt and Stephen. I think it was it was hard to, to get me involved in that one because he's in Australia, Matt's in uh, the East Coast, and I'm in London, so that would have been near impossible to, to arrange. So I just let Matt have that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sometimes happens. It's like, okay, who's going to do this one? Well who's closest geographically let's go for that
1: <laughs> yeah it's and it, it, it was a great one it was you know sometimes again in, for the way it works is that you know maybe it's a little bit more you can maybe get a little bit more done in a smaller window of time um, obviously the beauty about it is that we have a kind of different time zones so we're we can offer any type of guests we do have a little bit more uh, flexibility and you know again i'm glad that i was able to uh i think steven was watching you know like it was morning there he was watching like nba Basketball and it was like eight thirty, nine o'clock here, and I'm like, you
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, if you've got any other good guests that we should get on board, hit me and Matt up. You can follow me at Pet Berisha, P E T B E R I S H A, and you can follow Matt at, at Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter. And you can follow us at State of Play Pod. That's P O D. Let us know if you have any questions or anything like that, and if you want to email us at State of Play pod at gmail.com for collaboration or sponsorship or any of that good stuff um, and last but not least please subscribe review uh, the podcast give us five stars why not and and give us some general feedback if you hate us don't give us five stars but tell us why you don't like us <laughs> please don't hate us uh, thank you very much for listening if you're on your commute have a great commute if you're not uh have a great time doing what you're doing